Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the XX Mormon Podcast, the podcast where we come on the show to get it off our chests and uh, and with the objective of just getting out and away from Mormonism, both sides of the coin, whether you're in the church or out of, recently out of it, we just want to have nothing to do with it here. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about Turing tests. So the Turing test Alan Turing, he was in, uh, you know, featured in the movie, The, um, the Imitation, Imitation Game. Game. Yeah. But he was one of the guys early, early on in the invention of computers back when they were like massive steam powered adding machines. Mm-hmm. And he came up with a test for artificial intelligence and projected that by the year 2000, we would have fully functioning artificial intelligence. But what his test was, was that you would have somebody type to a computer and it would send a message one would go to an artificial intelligence. The other one would go to a human. And when the person sending the messages couldn't tell the difference between, you know, the human operating the computer and the, the, the artificial intelligence operating the computer, that's when we'd know we'd created actual artificial intelligence when it could imitate the responses of an actual human being perfectly. And so John Larson, who ran the Mormon Expression podcast, had a blog post about a spiritual Turing test. And so I think I think I should just read this, right? It's only like four paragraphs, three paragraphs, but just to That's set up a spiritual Turing. That's kind of long to Turing. just read. What? That's kind of long to just read. We'll just put a link okay. to it in the show notes. We'll People put can a link read to it, it in if the they show want. Notes. You can read it if you want, but just to summarize, he's saying... Imagine you've got this room where everybody's got a monitor and a keyboard. And you're told that it is connected to a computer, but you can't see the computer. But you can type things into the monitor and then something you'll get responses through the monitor, responses from the computer. And everybody else has got a computer, but you can't see what's on their monitor. You can only see what's on their, your monitor. And the information people start getting back from the computer is usually good, but sometimes just erratic and confusing, um, sometimes false or misleading. And people start to think that if you respond or type your answers in or questions into the computer in the right way, in the right order, you'll get better information out of it. And there starts to be this belief in a benevolent programmer who has set up all these machines. And then a belief of a malevolent programmer also starts to emerge. And people say that the malevolent programmer used to work for the benevolent programmer, and he knows how to imitate the methods and styles of the benevolent programmer, and he's able to confuse the message. And so all these different beliefs start emerging about the malevolent programmer, the benevolent programmer, the power of either how to type responses into the computer in the right way to, or type questions into the computer in the right way to get the best responses. And, you know, and so that would pretty much be the test is how can you tell the difference between the malevolent programmer and the benevolent programmer, since the malevolent programmer can imitate the benevolent programmer. And, and so John Larson finishes off his post with five questions. Um, and so I thought we could go through some of these just with this analogy of the spiritual Turing test. Because I'd say just for me, deconstructing Mormonism is one thing. Deconstructing God 
has been something I haven't had the mental effort or energy to deal with. Hmm. But this analogy and his questions, I think, kind of help in the process of fully deconstructing the idea of a god, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. They kind of they kind of went hand in hand for me, um, right? But um, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Th- let's go through these cues. Do you want me to ask them, Bishop? Uh, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Is there? It there is there any possible way? Is this is not a s- sentence? Are you reading this? Do you see? <laughs> yeah, he's got some spelling so, errors in here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> is there any possible way to even know if there is a benevolent programmer or malevolent programmer? Right. And I th- like in that analogy, the way he sets it up, it's just kind of hearsay about what's going on, right? Have mm-hmm. you seen the YouTube video on the religious uh, pigeons? Mm-mm. So what they did was they they had a, a pigeon in a cage with a feeder and it had a reward system. So if they pressed a button, it would kick out a pellet of food, right? Oh, And so the yeah. pigeons quickly figured out if I push this button, I get food, push the button, get food, push the button, get food. And so they did that and conditioned the pigeon. And then after that, they just set it up on a timer to kick out food pellets at random intervals. So the pigeon starts pressing the button and nothing happens, but then all of a sudden food will kick out. Mm -hmm. And because it's associated action with the distribution of food pellets, it thinks about whatever it was doing when the food kicked out. So if it had like its right wing up, all of a sudden it just starts sticking its white right wing up like crazy huh. trying to get more food. And, and then all of a sudden it'll have like its left foot up or it'll be scratching the ground when a food pellet kicks out. So it just starts scratching the ground and flapping its right wing. And it does it like, it's trying to do something to get more food pellets. Interesting. Interesting. And so it's create this pigeon is yeah. creating its own religion, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, and that it, is, Right. That's what's been set up in this computer lab in the spiritual Turing test is all these people just, well, no, no. The one time I typed these four or five keys in this order, that gave me the right answer. So you right. need to do it. You need to do all caps. You have Type to every do answer in all caps. Right. And they right. ignore the times when the all caps answer doesn't work. And they only think about the times when the all caps and, you know, question or answer did work. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you condition yourself to expect certain things and to behave certain ways. It's like uh, I talked to somebody once who read a book that I loved and they hated it and I didn't get why. And it's because they were required to for their class. So it's like a situational thing, right? Where whatever it's associated with, right? You keep doing it even even if it's not, you know, the quality or the relationship, you know, or the importance or whatever isn't tied directly to this thing, but because you perceive it that way, you start to behave in, in that way. In a certain way. Right. Right. Okay. So is, is there any possible way that you can know? If there's in like in this situation, there is no way to know if the programmer is actually there, right? Mm -hmm. He never shows himself. And it's the same thing with, like there is no real way to know if God is there. Right, right. You can become a pigeon, 
you can become the religious pigeon right and say no i know every time i scratch with my left talon three times god will distribute food for me i know that i have tested it right 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 and i like i just as an aside i love when mormons and especially like and I think it's engin- Mormons who are engineers or other scientists who are basically on the fence who've convinced themselves to see, and they say, it's just an experiment. I've read and prayed about the Book of Mormon, and I've tried that experiment, and I know it's true. But to actually set up the experiment properly, you would actually have to pray to several. You'd have to try praying to know God mm-hmm. and then recording the results of your week or month based on praying to know God mm-hmm. to set your base null hypothesis, right? Then in succession, you'd have to go through praying to each and every other God and compare the outcomes of each successive time period that you were praying to each other God. Right. And then comparing the outcomes of your life. And then you'd have to normalize for other kind of, you know, well, this, this week, my life, my, my dad passed away. So that was a particularly dark time, which didn't happen when I was praying to the other God. Like you'd have to analyze and normalize your life events. Right, right. To truly set up the experiment to determine if there's a God or which God. Right. And to try and take out coincidence, right? Yeah. Like, oh, well, you know, I, I was praying and then I got accepted to school. It's like, okay, well, you're at the age, you know, you applied to school, right? Like. You applied with the right grades, with the right extracurriculars. Right, exactly. There are right? other very simple, easy ways to explain this. Yeah, right? you have to normalize for all that. You yeah. have to normalize for your own hard work and say, yeah. is there anything about this that's actually outside of the realm? So in order to conduct the the pray to God to know experiment, it would actually have to. And I think maybe as a point of interest, I may pursue something like this. Spend a week praying to a different God. First week, pray to know God. Right. Just pray to the unentity. Right. <laughs> to antimatter. Yeah. And then record the outcomes of that week and then work through succession and see if any God is more powerful than the other God. Do you know what, though? Okay. Here's the thing, though. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I was going to do this with my roommates in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, and not exactly in the same way. We were having a conversation and I, I was, I said, I said something, I was like, oh, well, you know, garments are just fabric, right? And <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it did not go over well, me saying that. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, okay, okay. I said, I said, well, we'll, we'll try it out. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Right. You hear all these stories about garments magically saving people right they also magically Mm -hmm. don't save people sometimes right like mormons still get stabbed yeah and so i i told my roommates i said okay listen i will not wear my garments for the whole semester and we'll see what happens and and they were very uncomfortable incredibly uncomfortable Mm -hmm. And they they said, uh, what, they 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 said, oh, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't test the Lord. Tempt God. Yeah, you yeah. shouldn't tempt God. And I, I was like, oh, but doesn't he say to like test the word? You know, like to try it out. Yeah. And and they're like, no, well, uh, they're like, not not like this. You're supposed to just like pray about it. 
And I'm like, no, no, I'm trying it out, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to see, does anything change, right? <laughs> and they were so like shook. <laughs> and then yeah. I, I go back and talk to them later and they're very like awkward. And I just laughed and, and I, I said, oh, don't worry. I don't have any other underwear either. Anyways, you know, don't worry about it. And they <laughs> laugh and they're like, oh, I was worried you were serious. Ha, 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 Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, I was going to try it out. I was going to see, you know, does this work? Now, little did they know I had stopped praying and reading my scriptures and everything by then. Yeah. Ain't nothing changed, right? Yeah. Like, I wasn't doing any of the things. There, and it's, nothing it's, changed. Like, there is a, a real absence of curiosity, right? Because truly, to truly do the experiment, to try the Lord's word or whatever, an experiment of faith, you would have to, you have to set a base case. What's my life like not wearing garments? Mm-hmm. What's my life like having gone to the temple and accepted to wear the garments, but to neglect to wear the garments? And then, and, and you'd have to log your day and day's events. Yeah. Right. And then you probably have to ask for feedback from somebody else who is working with you that day to say, how did I do today? And marry that up to make sure you're not being biased or biased, yeah, right? To yeah. try and eliminate bias of your own perception of being a good day versus bad yeah. day. And they can't you know? know, they can't know that you're doing something different. Doing the experiment. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. otherwise they'll be like, oh, well, I, you know, want to prove that, you know, this way or that way. Right. Yeah. And yeah, like nothing changes. One other, one other thing about, and this, this does go back to John Larson said this a few times. But it's like, how come God has never said, boil your water? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or wash your hands with soap. <laughs> yeah. If you wanted to Take save us. Take unto the animal fat and lye and combine it together into a soap. And thou right. shalt wash thine hands before thou handlest thine food. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I... Who... He's never said one simple thing that was practical that could really help people in a big way. Thou shalt boil thine water. And even now, you can see it now. The vaccine is coming out. Right. Masks, a pandemic. Right. God's not getting up there and saying, God's prophet saying, I got the vaccine. Yeah. But he's not saying, thou shalt get the vaccine. It is life-saving. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I heard somebody somebody say recently was that they're aren't miracles now because we have like modern technology. They're like, God gave us modern science so that we could do that. Oh, and it took him 6,000 years to, you know, get that together. But he had to work through instruments. Right. He couldn't give us more knowledge than we could bear. Imagine God trying to explain the mysteries of the cosmos to Moses when he's writing Genesis. That's why there's no detail of the big bang. (laughs) God can't give Moses a lesson on astrophysics. And then tell him how the world's created. He'll just show him. Uh, okay. So that like, there is no way possible for the people in the Turing test to know if there's a, a God or a devil, a benevolent programmer or a malevolent programmer. So, and I think it, there is no way for us to know. And I think we've discussed lengthy experiments you could go through. And I think it'd be interesting to actually try one of those. Yeah. And see what happens just for, See, but interest, but we have to do it with real intent. Uh, what more sincere intent is there than this? 
<laughs> the absolute genuine curiosity to try praying to every God. That's not an easy thing to do and log your data. Hey, you don't want it to be true. I know you don't want it to be true. You would. Okay. okay. I always look, I'm open. I'm complete. I'm logging the information here. Wherever the data takes me, I'll go. I don't believe you here. You're, you're a heretic. Yeah. A I heretic just for asking. I always, I always get that all like, <laughs> Well, you never wanted it to be true. I'm like, why would I? Wh why not? <laughs> because it's amazing if it is true. Yeah. Right. Magic like, healing powers and why would I not want that it protects to be you true? From harm and, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So next question he asks: How do we know there is only one benevolent or malevolent programmer, and not seven or 144,000? But in that case, how do they know there's only one? Right. How do if we you know can, there's only one? God? If you can't even know that there's one, you can't know that there's not more. Yeah. 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 But, so, but like, if we think like our life growing up in the church, like, how did we know that there was only one heavenly Father? Even though we are all heavenly Father in Israel, that that's what I was told. You know it that there's only one God because somebody told you that there is only one God, right? Yeah. But there's no self-evident way to know that there is only one. God, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the book has to tell you. That's the interesting the thing. If if all if all knowledge disappeared, right? Mm -hmm. If all books just disappeared and everybody's mind was just like wiped, yeah, we would come to the same conclusions in science that we have, but yeah. not in religion. Religion would all be different. You took that's Charles da Dawkins, right? Oh, maybe or Richard Dawkins. He might have said that. Richard Dawkins. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I heard it somewhere. Great minds think alike. Yeah. No, no, no I yeah. did not make that up. I I think I okay. probably heard it from him. Yeah. Personally, okay. we were yeah. just hanging out one day. <laughs> Over beers. Me and my boy um, Dick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, you can't you can't know. Um yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. But that I think that is an interesting question. Is it's not only how do we know there's a God, but how do we know there's only one God? Right. Right. Yeah. You don't. That is a that is a question I never ever asked. Yeah, that was never like an issue. And then if if it was, it'd be like, oh well. I mean, technically speaking, right? There was always this. Yeah. Technically, if you look at if you could hide to Kolob, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, then there, then then there are, you know, like Moses, I guess, is already one, and Abraham. He's they're getting up there, right, in their yeah. eternal progression. Yeah, yeah. Even though apparently, I, I learned this. Apparently, Moses isn't even considered a historical figure. You just learned that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Nobody ever. To nobody ever told me these things. Yeah. Uh, well, and does your family Surprising. think that he is? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious if there are Mormons who would assert that. I would say I only started finding out about the absence of evidence for the the Bible being historical around the time that I stopped going to church, like 2017, 2018. Right. And the scriptures were the foundation of my faith. So once I started realizing that they weren't historical, then it very quickly demolished itself right right yeah see i was 
the the foundation for my faith was the uh the fruits you know like oh well oh, okay my family loves each other mm-hmm. you know and then as soon as i realized that families outside loved each other too that was uh pretty challenging to me like actually right. i was like really wait a second you're not supposed to be this happy like that like, was what, what, confusing to me you're in high school or yeah in like junior high mostly is when i start to be like wait a second did you like, have any rationalizations or anything uh it was it, it it came to like uh oh well they just don't know what they're missing so they just look happy kind of right. thing right that was my rationalization and then and then I uh, deconstructed like my God belief. And mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, cool. I'll hang out for five years and then I'll get yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was my, it was my social club and uh, yeah, yeah. Tote the line and everything. It was fun, you know, Yeah. whatever. It's not the worst social club to be a part of. No, I'm a white guy. Yeah. It worked for me. Yeah. Right. It works for you. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm a white guy with a bunch of siblings who, you know, knew other people in the city. And yeah, so it it worked, right? That's how I got yeah. all my jobs growing up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this oh, Mormon definitely. owns this job. And yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, also got a few jobs doing it. Yeah, that way through the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely helpful, more helpful than harmful in that way yeah but, and for um, some people yeah for some people if you fit yeah. the mold right? yeah yeah and it's not and the worst place to be yeah i think the one way i didn't fit the mold was i care more about being honest than feeling warm and fuzzy so good yeah 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 that's what took me out ultimately um okay next next question how can yeah. anyone honestly assert they can tell the difference between the computer and the BP or MP, uh, that's benevolent programmer and malevolent programmer, since all they can evaluate is what appears on the computer. How can you tell the difference? You can't. So if I, yeah, if you have, so that that's like the analogy of, of feelings, right? Of I'm getting answers through feelings or whisperings right. or, right. or whatever. How can you, and the question is a little, uh, the question's a bit loaded. How can anybody honestly assert this? Right. I think people who assert this are genuine when they say it. Yeah. Um, but. But it, it's because, uh, I, I mean, it's well documented that you can work yourself into things. Right. Yeah. Like oh, you yeah. can convince yeah. yourself of things. Right. So S- Some people lie fully convinced of their lie about like yeah. real actual events with witnesses. Yeah happens yeah there i you know we can get into the comparison between lance armstrong and joseph smith at some point in time but i think it'd be because lance armstrong starts to believe his own bullshit once he starts live strong okay. and starts saving the world from cancer right right and and so in that way he justifies his cycling everybody's cheating in cycling i'm right. cheating in cycling and i'm helping save people from cancer right so now i'm i'm the jesus christ of cycling right Right, right, right. He's like absolved and of any any wrongdoing. Starts believing his own horseshit, and I think right. a similar thing happens with Joseph Smith. Is he starts to believe that God is actually talking to him because he's convinced so many other people that God is talking to him. Yeah, that maybe God is actually talking to me. 
Right. Yeah. Right? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. We do work ourselves up in into that kind of thing. And I had a conversation, I think this ties in with a uh, Seventh-day Adventist, a former mm-hmm. Seventh-day Adventist. And right. he he asked me, he said, oh, because it came up that I left the Mormon church. And he said, oh, what led you out? And uh, we talked for a little bit. And then I'm like, what led you out? And he says, he says, well, it was in church when I realized everybody else is just as convinced that they're right about their religion too. And so he said, right. he, he said, how am I supposed to, you know, be so convinced when the Catholic priest across the street is just as convinced or if not more convinced, right? They're misled by the malevolent programmer. Like that was what I would tell myself. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, they were misled. They were conditioned. They were brainwashed. They, everybody else Except for Those you. Those things happen to everybody else except me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got, the, I'm, I'm the one talking to the benevolent programmer. Everybody else has got it wrong. Right, right. Right? Yeah, that, that and, makes sense. Um, All you have to do is assert that to me. So. Yes. Yeah. And I think that exists in a world when, where people are concerned about the absolute irrevocable truth of religion. And I think what's happened maybe in the last 50 years is that the truth stopped being important to to religion community started being important to religion but um because like you go to a, a community church you hear a message that's uplifting they've got coffee and donuts and nobody's sending a tray you know collection plate around right they host activities and whatever it's these um fundamentalist churches who are still clinging to the idea of truth and being right you know and and that's where you get the people who are like, well, I'm right. And everybody else just got it wrong. Mm-hmm. The things that happened to me are different from, you know, my brainwashing in my Sunday school is different from how the Catholics were brainwashed in their catechism. <laughs> it's different. It's not the same. And mine's led by a prophet of God. So I can trust what they say. Right. Implicitly. Right. 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 I should char- start a church. Yeah. Fastest way to get rich. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah pretty good (laughs) you have more fun as a follower but you uh, make more money as a leader creed bratton creed bratton (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i love it okay why would the bp insist people acknowledge his existence when he chooses to hide behind a system that conceals his existence that's a great question the number one thing god cares about is that you believe he exists why? What about like just think, being nice to each other? Why doesn't he care more about that? Do you think to ants, we are God? No, because they can see us. But even, well, but I, do you think they perceive that we are one whole entity? Mm. Because in comparison, we are so large. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't know much about ants perceptions. Ants. But I just, I'm just, I know, I'm just throwing it out there. But <laughs> what do we, what do we care for ants? Right, right, right. And so, what does would God actually care for us if we're one among trillions upon trillions of individual creations, smaller and less significant than? It's because we're His children. Anything we're His children, right? But I just think, like, I've really been thinking about it, and I've, I've tossed around the idea in my head of just writing an actual. If God actually had a prophet, what would the prophet say? Mm-hmm. And it's something along the lines of, 
you guys think you're too important. Yeah. Would be the, the crux of it. You have made yourselves too important. Right. To me. <laughs> right. I don't really care. He, he's I've like, got... listen, I went to go buy milk and a pack of cigarettes, you know, yeah. 2000 years ago. <laughs> And you are still talking about me. Get, Get about over it. it. Move yeah. on with your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, but I, like, I think, uh, why would God insist that we worship him? I think one thing that I've noticed with people who are, um, who've done very well in their career or business is they're not very braggy. They're not very showy. Once you've made it to the top, you don't really give a shit who, mm-hmm who compliments you or cares about you because you already know your big shit. Right. Right. So why do I need acknowledge? I don't need acknowledgement for anybody. I know what's in my bank account. I know that I'm getting on a private jet. Right. I don't like, yeah. I don't care. Well, maybe, I, maybe God's new money. Cause new money is a little bit more flashy. Right. right? Money, so, yeah, so maybe right, he just right. like came into a bunch of money and He's, he, he like needs the validation. He, yeah. But he doesn't want to show pictures though. Yeah. Right, right. He's the <laughs> he's like the Nigerian prince you get emails prince. from. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's like Oh, for hey, sure. Listen, listen. I'm really really rich and like totally awesome. Don't google mm-hmm. me or anything, but like just send me send me money, okay? Like Yeah. 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 Like why? you know, like Warren <laughs> Warren Buffett's salary is still like 120 grand a year and he his primary residence is a bungalow in Dakota. Or yeah. wherever he grew up, like right? Oklahoma, I like, think, or something. Oklahoma, oh, sorry, Oklahoma. Like Warren Buffett doesn't need to show the world how big his dick is. Yeah, and he doesn't need people to tell him he's the greatest investor of all time. Right, right. Or wait, he, wait, wait. It's Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, because they we call go. him the Oracle of Omaha. Of Omaha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Glad we've all now that'll reduce our hate mail by 25% (laughs) now that we got that detail. Right. But no, but like he doesn't need time magazine to tell him he's the greatest investor on the planet. He knows because of he's got the results. Hathaway's worth. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't need people to worship him. Yeah. Right. You're right. It's the guy who's trying to, that's like what we were talking about in our other episode. The people who care about the big offices aren't the people in the big offices. It's people trying to get into the big office. Right. Right. So God is like an associate God. He hasn't actually made partner yet. He's not a partner. And he's looking for the validation. So he needs us to worship him. Right. Yeah. I think this makes sense. And uh, I think actually what makes more sense is that he's the CEO, right? He's at the top. He's made it. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, actually, no, he's the owner. He started it all. He, he's, he's like hands off, right? He's hired people to run it. That's the church, mm-hmm. right? So he's hands off. He's not even paying yeah. attention. As long as he gets a paycheck, he's fine. But then you've got all everybody in the church, the bureaucracy that's trying to like make it into the upper office. And they're the ones obsessed with it. Hmm? And they can't, you know, I know there's sometimes at work where I try to drive something, right? And as like a last resort, sorry, I should back up a bit. My boss will tell me to get something done, mm-hmm. right? And so I will go through all the methods of persuasion, convincing, blah, 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 to kind of get my coworkers on side and to get it done. But as a last resort, I will say, God told me to tell you to do this. 
<laughs> you know, the last resort is saying, my boss told me to tell you that we have to do this. Right. First, you want to try and because it's just really petty to just be like, God told me to do, you know, God told me to tell you to do this. So you have to do it. Right. And Mormon, I think that's why general conference talks suck so much is that they've always have their audience in the seat believing that God told them to tell them this. They've never had to think like, we need to spice things up so that we can keep our audience. Cause they're not coming. It's just, they always right. just start out with the God told me, so you got to do what I say. Right. Right. They don't try and lead out with the persuasion, leadership, convincing people, getting everybody on side, uniting people behind a goal. And then if all else fails, then you drop the, okay, this isn't happening. It has to happen now. God's saying we have to do it. They just go straight to God, you know, chose me to tell you this shitty message. So I will deliver it and not think about, you know, doing anything to increase engagement or participation or interest. You should just do it. Because God told me to tell you to do this. Yep. So I'll do it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, last one. I like it when we get on these analogies that sometimes yeah. may probably go astray a little bit. Hopefully yeah. the hopefully the listeners enjoy those. You can tweet at us. Um, <laughs> okay, last question. Since yeah. the MP can mimic the BP, how can we believe anything at all? <laughs> Even if it seems to not come from our computer. Huh? I think that goes with the, like, if you assume that there is a malevolent programmer, if you assume that there's a Satan and Satan was at the right hand of God or whatever, and was a son of the morning and all those things. And we're told that he's the great imitator and you can't see anybody. So like, he's really, you know, this is something that I took a couple business ethics classes and so I, I definitely am not a philosopher, but had like one philosophy class and what they do to try and really suss out right and wrong is you keep reducing and reducing and reducing things and making the cases more extreme. So, you know, there's that one, you know, ethical dilemma of you've got a train car with five people on it. If you flip the switch, mm -hmm. it won't derail, but it'll kill one other person. Yeah. Would you flip the switch or not? Oh right. yeah. I'd sacrifice one life for five. Yeah. Okay. What if the train is running under a bridge and there's a fat person who's so corpulent that if he landed on the train tracks, he could stop the train from going over a cliff or something like that, but you would kill the fat person. Would you do it? Like there's a difference between idly flipping a switch and killing a person far away and having to push the person over the, the bridge yourself, right? Right. And then the most extreme case you come to is, you're a surgeon and you have five patients who need different organs and you're about to do a, a benign operation on somebody who has all five of these healthy organs you need to harvest. Would you kill that person and harvest their organs to save those other five people? And now it's just like, Oh my gosh, this is way too crazy. Like, I don't know what I'd actually do. This isn't a simple one life for five, but in its most reduced terms, it still is a, would you trade one life for five? Right. Why is it different if you're a murderous surgeon versus the, the train person flipping the train switch? So he, what he does is he reduces, okay, if there is a God and a Satan and Satan can perfectly imitate God, how can you know if anything's true? Right. You can't. Because God told me, 
but Satan knows how to imitate that exactly. So how can you know if it's from God or from Satan? Yeah. You just, you you pray about it. You pray. Okay. But Satan knows (laughs) when you're praying and if you're praying out loud, he knows what you're saying. And I've been told my life that great Satan is a great liar and deceiver. And he, you know, the, even the elect can be deceived. So how can I know? Like under this system, that's what he's done. And he does this in his podcast a few times is instead of just saying, oh, this is blatantly false. He says, I'll assume your assumptions are correct. Let's see where that takes us. Mm-hmm. It, right. And that's what he's done here with the, this analogy. He said, okay, we'll assume that you guys are correct about God. Yeah. And Satan, where yeah. does that take us? This is takes us somewhere. Like this. This is why I don't evangelize, because I thought right. I th- I thought like I used my brain. Mm-hmm. I used my brain, and I said, "Okay, let's take this all the way." Oh, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Welp. Right. And uh, actually talking about taking things to the extreme i had a roommate this was over a year ago so i had to go back and find this but uh they they sent this to me and they they said for some reason this reminds me of any hypothetical hypothetical philosophical conversation with you and uh it's a text conversation between two people yeah and uh person one says voltaire said to to learn who oppresses you you simply have to learn who you can't criticize. So I need to rise up against children with leukemia. That's what I'm getting from that. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the person replies with stop. And then they said, I see a bald child over there. Viva la revolution. And it's like, <laughs> you know, like that's what I do when I talk to people. And this was over a year ago. This was before I even left because this is like, you know, when I mentioned last time that I had that conversation with my sister, right? And and she says, you criticize people, you know? And I thought, well, yeah, like I do that to myself. When I ask somebody else a question to try and make them think, I've already asked myself that question. question. I've already yeah. worked through that myself. I'm not yeah. trying to, you know, demean somebody or bring somebody down or anything. If you have a better question, please ask me, right? right. It, it, that's the way Socrates would deal with things, right? And Socrates ends up... Socrates like, wound be, up dead and, dead. Yeah, he was and everybody so hated insufferable, him. insufferable, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. So I, I, I get well, it. I'm in this, like, I'm in, I get it because I'm in the same boat, right? The same things you're talking about, I, uh, I feel as well. If funny, the kids with leukemia example, I think Michael Buble is absolutely terrible. Yeah. And, uh, and, and now living in Vancouver, I'm exposed to his terribleness because he's like a, he's a favorite son of Vancouver. Right. Oh, is he from Vancouver? Yeah. He's very, very technically good, but he sounds like Harry Connick Jr. If you don't know Harry Connick Jr. is he's multi-instrumentalist and, and sings that kind of slow jazz blue eyed soul kind of style, same as Michael Buble, but came out like 25 years before. And he's acted in movies and he's actually from new Orleans. Hmm. Right. So he's, he's got a very, very authentic sound, even though it's not as technically proficient as Michael Bublé. So Michael Bublé is like banana flavored candy. Like right. you get the essence of banana, but it's sickly sweet and over 
produced, right? Right, right. So I, but Michael Bublé's kid has had cancer. Mm-hmm. And so when I start getting on a rant about Michael Bublé, people will say, how can you say that his kid had cancer? I'm like, irrelevant to how shitty of a singer he is. <laughs> right. You're- I suck at my job and I'm about to get fired. I can't just pull up my wife's got cancer card. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, so I, th- I think then there's like a criticism of work versus the person. Right. Right. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's the subject for a whole other, <laughs> whole other. So you just got me at your podcast. little, uh, your Voltaire, Viva la Revolution, bald yeah. kid. Yeah. Just got me hyped up about uh, the Michael Bublé's terrible. Here's my five reasons why he's banana flavored candy. And it's like the last defense is, well, his kid has cancer. How can you do something like that? Right, right, right. I yeah. think members of the church do the same. That's where you get into the, it's doctrine versus policy. It's the last defense. Right. It's, you have deconstructed this to yeah. a point where I can't follow. And the implications of what you're saying are too scary. Yeah. I actually, I had a, <laughs> I had a friend. This was over a year ago. I was at her house in Utah. Really, really yeah. close friend, even still after leaving. And yeah. we were having a conversation over a year ago and we're we're sitting there at our kitchen table and I was just asking questions. I was like, "Hey, you know, have you ever th- thought about this? Have you ever or what what about that? Oh, did you ever think?" And it was about the uh it was something about like the leadership of the church or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and she literally she said to me, she's like, "Nope, nope, nope." She's like, "I can't talk about that." Because I know where it'll lead me. You let go. Yeah. yeah. And and she she said, and I can't leave the church mm-hmm. was basically like what it came down to. She was like, I can't have that conversation because I know exactly where that ends. Mm-hmm. And they just pretend like a lot of people just pretend. Right. It's that last ditch I, effort. Do you know, in my last ditch effort, the last time I bore my testimony to my wife, when she was roasting me after she'd left the church, I told her, I told her about when the spirit told me Joseph Smith made up the book of Mormon. And I almost like cried. I think I've told you this story. Maybe I'll elaborate on another episode, but anyway, I'm riding my bike, let's see the book of Mormon and the, the spirit or what I thought was the spirit told me, Joseph Smith made this up. You can tell by the writing here. And, and I suppressed that feeling. And, uh, and I end up telling, I said, honey, like, I had this experience and I have no reason to believe the book of Mormon is true, but I believe that is my test of faith. And even though, <laughs> even though I know it is not true, I continue to choose to believe or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> it's like absolutely ridiculous. And she looked at me and I'm feeling like the spirit. Yeah. And I'm like, got tears in my eyes, bearing my soul. And she looks at me and says, if that's true, that is the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and you are completely brainwashed. And I was like, never thought about it that way before. The like mental like, gymnastics you have to go through for that. <laughs> and do you, yeah. Do you, the thing that one mental exercise, sorry, one mental exercise I went through as I was coming out of the church was I had worked at an accounting firm. When you work at an accounting firm, you start, it's like being in high school again, because everybody's in like year levels, mm-hmm. kind of you're, you're a level two 
associate, your level one associate, your senior associate, your manager level two, manager level, you know, and it's very much tiered like high school and you start with this group and you get to be real close and accountants being numbers, people tend to be pretty objective mm-hmm. people. So I would just imagine all these things and frustrations that I was having with the church. I'd imagine that I was sitting across the table with a couple of my accounting buddies and just explaining them, explaining to them my thought process and imagining the responses they give back to me. And most of them, what I would imagine saying is just like, you know, Andrew, when you kind of weigh everything that you're saying, I just don't know why you go. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of, that was a thought exercise I went through. So I'm really frustrated. Let me just imagine a group of the most objective people I can think of. And I'm just going to tell them everything I'm thinking to myself. And what do I think they'd say back to me? And it was a resounding, I don't know why you're still doing this. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was one thing that helped me just let it go and and stop participating. Yeah. I think the conclusion to this conversation is that you have to ask questions, whatever it is, you have to ask, you have to sit with it. You have to think about it and ask yourself these tough questions that, yeah, sometimes you don't want the answer to it. And I've talked to plenty of people who've said that if it's not true, they, they don't care because they, you know, they'd rather live with it as a lie than live without mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. And, you know, like, I get the idea of comfort that comes from it. But I think if people actually, like, tested it out and try just living a decent human life, mm-hmm. you're not going to magically become suicidal because you don't think that there, there's a God. Mm-hmm. Like, that didn't happen to me right mm-hmm. right like none of none of my depression has come from this experience it's all come from other things right yeah. yeah and and i think that a lot of people hold on to it because they're they're scared of what it's going to be like when they let go but i know i'm going to bear my testimony that it's been freeing, <laughs> you know? Right. I, I just get to be a good person. Why? Because I like being a good person. Do I, like, that's it. That's it. I just like being nice to people. So, yeah. Any uh, any other thoughts, Bishop? All I, have, I know you're wrapping it up. So all I actually have is more questions. So I'm just going to curb it and zip my lid and, and say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. <laughs>